We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report. With Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. But then when I look at Olave, I actually think that Olave might be less of a slot and more of a pure Z or maybe even an X for some teams. Because if you're a team that likes to stick an 11 personnel all day, well, you need your slot receiver to be able to block, and he gives you nothing in the run game. I think he's more of a Z than an X. If he was more of an X, I'd probably put him up in Tier 1, but he's not. So the fact that he's pretty much just a Z for many, many teams out there in terms of skill set means that he might go a little bit lower than we think. He's still a really good player, but the lack of alignment versatility, I guess is the word I'm going to use, that will knock him a little bit. He's got really good route running ability. He's silky smooth. He's got deep speed. He's got great hands. He's got all that kind of stuff. But it's the lack of size and physicality that does kind of limit where you can put him. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pal Report podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And that was Brett Coleman from his film room episode on wide receivers in the 2022 draft, talking about Chris Olave, a target that's often been pegged to Buffalo, and one that, as you'll find out in the course of this podcast tonight, would fill a pretty specific need. Chris, we're here. We're all Chris, we're almost done with the 2022 draft series. This month has flown by. Yeah, it has. Drafts next week. I mean, speaking of draft, do we have anything to plug? Oh. For the draft? Is yeah, there for, anything to plug? Yeah, for the draft, we will be joining the Rock Sports Network crew over at Batavia Downs. We're bringing back the Rock Sports Network Draft Night Series. It's going to be great. Us, the guys from Hashtag Sports, are going to be there. We've got guests, uh, 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 Ryan Lasel and Icy Vic from The Huddle. We're going to be bringing in rounds one, rounds two, rounds three. We're going to be doing a live stream. Chris... 
some of the highlights from our recent draft stream history. Um, I don't. Th- there was the year I flipped a tablet over yep. the Devin Singletary pick. Devin Singletary, remember that? There was. Um, then we had to take it online. Then there was the live stream COVID era show that we did that I literally almost derailed the entire show with my hatred of the Epinesa over J.K. Dobbins pick. Yeah. Listen, guys, these we put on a phenomenal show. We we've got a lot of interesting conversation. People, obviously, the guys at hashtag know their shit. If you're gonna tune in, tune in for me and my attempts to derail this thing just out of frustration more than anything else. Like, isn't that part of the draw, Chris? Yeah, it is. Or you know, or if you're local, if you're in Rochester, if you're in Batavia, if you're in Buffalo, and you want to come to Batavia, we're gonna be at Batavia Downs. Have a drink with the old boy Drew Gear and Chris Krueger. Come on out. There's going to be giveaways. There's going to be all kinds of stuff going on at the thing. It's going to be a lot of fun. But tonight, we're here. And you know what else is funny, Chris? That night, the draft night where I flipped out and almost derailed the, the stream altogether. On AJ? On AJ Epinesa? Yep. Because listen, I still I thought that drafting the best running, arguably the best running back in the class versus... Uh, AJ Epinesa, like, I don't know, like what, defensive end four going into that season? Yeah, well, he was a uh, projected as like a top 10, and then he <laughs> fell to like 54. Yeah. Half the problem was is they, half the problem with that show and why it came so far off the rails is because it was my birthday weekend. And as is our custom, you had gifted me a bottle of whiskey that evening. Yeah. And then put it in front of me. And turned me loose on a bunch of unsuspecting ma- the unsuspecting masses. Yeah, your birthday, your whiskey, whiskey drew. Yeah, we are recording on Thursday the twenty first. Your birthday is in two days. So you've now given me a bottle of Koval single barrel bourbon whiskey. It's distilled in Chicago. Can they call it bourbon if it's not distilled in like bourbon's just the style of it? Correct. I don't know. I'm I not thought it a, had to be brewed in Kentucky or distilled in Kentucky. I know that you're dumb enough when you go to the liquor store. It's a Woodford Reserve, a Eagle Rare, a Basil Hayden. I'm the only one that's going to get you something that's rare because you're what I don't know what your goes through your head when you go to the liquor store. <laughs> and yeah, you, you're going to get your Eagle Rare, your Woodford Reserve. We all, we know that. How often are you going to grab a bottle of bourbon and open it and go, I don't like this, <laughs> and, and not drink it? Has there ever been a bottle of bourbon that you purchased where you just open it, you sip it, and you go, no, not for me, and you don't drink it? No, no. O- outside of like a Recipe 21, a like maybe a... like a Something in plastic. Canadian club. <laughs> Something Phil- in plastic. Philadelphia. Yeah, no. I, I paid I, 47 and change for that, so, so you so, better like it. So, well, so this is it. That's Because isn't that it? You and I joke about it all the time. There's a custom. Yeah. If well, you, drink you, it, you started this tradition. I did. So. And, if, and the whole thing is people, and this is what I tell Chris all the time, when it comes to whiskey, I know a couple things. I know it better cost more than $40 and it better come in glass. That's not even if you're giving it as a gift. That's if you're drinking it. Because if you're not, then you've just committed a cardinal sin because that booze ain't drinkable. Yeah. That, that dog don't hunt, you know, that's, as they say. So this is Koval from Chicago. I'm going to pour a little bit of this over one of your expertly crafted cubes of ice here. 
Yeah, usually you can go to like Premiere and get a bunch of stuff. I ended up going to Colonial, which is behind Taffy's in the Tops Plaza in Orchard Park. That and Cordially Yours over by you on French Road and Transit and Depew are probably the two top liquor stores in the area where you can find something rare that you pr- won't get at Premier. I've never seen... Premier is like the Walmart of liquor around here. They don't have that at Premier. Well, I'll tell you this. I'm looking at it right now. This is 47.5%. So it's about 92 proof. It's right up there. That's that's like rocks territory. That's where it's like you need to cut this with a little ice. I like this. Let's... I like the smell of it. It smells like it's going to be a little on the heavier side, not the watery side. I like that. Ooh. A little oak on the back end of that one. It's nice on the tongue. They don't give you a lot of information on the bottle. No, of course not. That's why it's a dice roll. That's why I don't do it. But I'll tell you what. This is highly drinkable. This is really good stuff. Yeah. Come on. It's... I, I want to hear from now on you buying a bottle of bourbon that you've never had. You want me to open my horizons a little bit? Yeah. Broaden my horizons? Yeah. Let me know when you go to the liquor store. Buy something different that you don't, you don't get. And then tell me if it sucks. <laughs> Very rarely will you run into that situation spending $40 on a bottle of bourbon. Where you're, ah, this isn't for me. You know what? If that isn't for you, stop drinking. <laughs> well, we both know I'm not going to do that. So, hey, cheers, buddy. Cheers from cheers, across sir. the room. Uh, so we're here tonight to talk about wide receivers and tight ends in the 2022 NFL Draft. When you look at the current setup of the Buffalo Bills, our current cap allocation is about $20 million. That's 9.6% of the, of the salary cap, which is 17th in the NFL. So, Chris, it sounds like we're in pretty competitive territory in that regard, right? Yeah. And we have four starters on hand between wide receivers and tight ends. Now, when you look at the makeup of our current group, Diggs is one of the richest wide receivers in the NFL, but he's also been playing some of the best, most consistently high-end football of his entire career, maybe of anybody's career, since arriving in Buffalo. He goes into 2022 the de facto number one, And a better number one than most teams ever dream of having, given this rare blend of body control, hands, route running, all these things that have made him a major threat against zone coverage, and still highly successful in man-to-man. He was top four in the NFL last year in yards per route run against man coverage. That's how good he is when you try to just 1v1 him. Gabe Davis. Davis is in a weird place in his career. During his rookie season, he was a red zone weapon. He scored seven touchdowns, but only about 300 yards and change. But he wasn't made a focal point of the passing attack for huge stretches of the season, which is understandable because at the time he was a rookie. Yeah, McDermott's not going to give rookie. No, and we had a very deep depth chart at wide receiver. Going into 2021, we watched that same marginalization take place, at least until the second half of the season, where he exploded for 11 touchdowns, including five in the postseason and four against Kansas City in that game that we should have fucking won. I don't remember which one it was against Kansas City. It might have been third or fourth, where he just broke the cornerback's ankles. 
Oh, that was the last one. The cornerback yeah, was on he the was ground, like, and he was just alone in the end zone. Yeah, you were like, why is Gabe Davis wide open? Oh, the cornerback has no more ankles. He's just laying on the ground. Oh, that's why. Here's the problem. He's a weapon, but his damage is done mostly between the hashes and up the seams where linebackers and safeties can't hang with him. You know, that blend of size and speed that he has. He's wholly unproven as a boundary option for the Bills. When when you're doing it, you're going up against a team's best defensive backs who can use the sideline to negate some of your biggest assets when you're a guy like Gabe Davis. Then you've got Jamison Crowder, who's kind of an under-the-radar signing after we lost Beasley, right? Yeah. Like, he's not he's not expensive. He's Ta- what, a one-year deal? One-year deal. Talking to Scott Mason from Play Like a, the Play Like a Jet Net Network, and the guy who's a weekly guest in our AFC's Roundup podcast, he really liked Crowder's reliable hands and route running from the slot. And he said that he can naturally generate yards after the catch, which is something that the Bills just haven't had over the last few years. Then you've got McKenzie. Isaiah McKenzie, the quote-unquote face of the franchise. Um, he's back, fresh of a bump in pay that would seem to signify that the Bills are ready to give him a real shot at being a productive member of this football team on a regular basis. You know, he's a slot receiver, gadget wide receiver, kick returner. He's being paid like a guy that they expect to have a larger role this season. Uh, Chris, he posted the, the smallest single season yardage total of his entire career last year. And yet they bumped his pay. Doesn't that tell you, like, hey, okay, we saw enough in the games where you were productive? They got to believe him, believe of him in some sense. And beyond that, I don't know what to make of who else is left in the roster. I mean, touchdown Jesus has utility, but a pretty low floor of production in the NFL. Tanner Gentry, who? What? The fuck are we talking about, Tanner? I don't Gentry. know why you would name uh, your child Tanner. Tanner Gentry, Montgomery Gentry. I mean, it's the same thing. I don't know that any of them have any NFL touchdowns. Danny so. Tanner, Isaiah Hodgins. He was a favorite of every Bills pundit out there. I believe Nate Geary came on this show. Oh, said that Hodgins would make the roster over to Gabe Davis. How's that worked out? We should have bet him a Seagrams on that too. The guy would be dead already from diabetes. Between his Browns taking that one, it would have killed him. Marquez Stevenson, decent returner, right? He was in the top 10 when he took over for Isaiah McKenzie. But his lack of experience, offensive upside, and ball security. I mean, Micah Hyde was fielding punts down the stretch for the Bills. What does that tell you about the state of that position? Yeah, we don't have anything. And then you look at our tight end depth chart. I don't even, it's, it's kind of the same. Knox, he finally took that step forward. In a massive way, tied for second place in the NFL for touchdowns by a tight end, posted a career high for yardage and posted the highest yards after the catch per reception of any any player on our roster last year. Also coming up for a contract right next season, yes. and based on the backup tight end market Jesus this Christ. year, you're making me sick here. I know it's you're gonna have to shell a little bit of cash at Dawson Knox to keep him. Meanwhile. He's backed up by, or at least he's going to be playing in tandem with O.J. Howard, the Clemson killer, as he's remembered by the Bama faithful. He was supposed to be an elite tight end, but has never really caught on as a pass catcher. He's still an elite physical talent, and he represents maybe the best run-blocking tight end we have on the roster. He's got an injury history, so I don't know how much we can really rely on him, but he's a nice piece. And outside of that, I don't know what we have, Chris. Uh, Tommy Sweeney, 
hasn't clicked yet, can't be trusted to play in every every game role for an NFL team. Quentin Morris, but I, who? I Tanner Gentry, Quentin I, Morris, you could tell me that they were interchangeable at this I point. I don't even know. I literally have never heard of Quentin Morris until you said his name right now. All I can think of is Morris Day in the motherfucking time. Yeah, that's right. A little Jay and Silent Bob for you. I, when it comes to this draft, the Buffalo Bills wide receiver and tight end group is in a weird place. When you think about where we were last year, I mean, going into the 2021 draft, the Bills had one of the deepest, most experienced wide receiver core in the AFC. They had three of the NFL's top five zone beaters in Diggs, Beasley, and Sanders in terms of efficiency against zone coverage. And with Davis in the mix going into year two, the sky was the limit for that group. Looking at 2022's depth chart, it's hard not to feel like our quarterback has ascended the talent in front of him. And that those guys have taken an alarming step backwards. Diggs is still going to be an elite weapon. He should still surpass 160 targets for the third consecutive year. McKenzie will probably see a larger target share from the slot. He's going to have a chance to build on that. What, Chris, <clears throat> this is how crazy last year was for McKenzie. He had one game where he saw more than two targets. That Patriot game. That Patriots game. And he was he was amazing. And he massacred every single defensive back that they tried to put on him. Yeah. It look, I'm not a McKenzie guy because I I think he's just there for jet sweeps and <laughs> yep. throwing within two yards how of did, the line. How of does that game make you feel? It was fine. The one game. Oh, was one okay? Show me over the course of a season. Now we like oh Cole Beasley. You think McKenzie's going to take that spot and be the slot guy? And if he doesn't pan out, they've got a Crowder behind him. Yeah, they got a what is it Stevenson? Well, they've got Stevenson. They've got Crowder, or he can draft. Or well, and this is it. Look at Knox is going to remain a downfield threat and a seam weapon. He's going to be a chain mover. What he had over fifty first downs last year. No, no, it was 30, but he only had like 15 and 16 the previous years. So he literally tied his two previous two seasons combined. But the group is still lacking something. It's almost like when you have a soup and you don't add enough salt to it. Or when you're a podcast personality and you post pictures of your food on the internet and you don't. Or if you have excellent soups and you just keep the recipes in an ottoman that you end up selling, and then some street vagrants steal it from you. Wait, what? Obviously, you've never watched Seinfeld, the Soup Nazi. <laughs> I just, I just went and went through that entire episode, the Soup Nazi Seinfeld, where he keeps his soups in the in his armoire that he sells to Elaine. I mean, I'm a genius. I'm a genius. I don't even know what to say. I was in the middle of throwing shade at someone for not melting their cheese, and you just, you just. Seinfeld wow. references. I'll bring them all, all, all day Holy long. Holy shit. See, you don't know movies, but you know Seinfeld. You and I are going to start playing You Don't Know Seinfeld, because I'll tell you what, Chris. I watch enough of Seinfeld. I own every single season on DVD. That's uh, how old you are. <laughs> I just watch them on Netflix like a normal person. Here's the, here's the problem. It's going to be unclear 
Because every team needs balance, correct? Yes. You need an X receiver, you need slot talent, and you need a Z receiver. Somebody to play on the opposite side of the X receiver, near the boundary, but off the ball. You need that to give your offense balance. I don't know how Davis is going to fare if you try, because I hear all this. Oh, Davis is finally time. It's his time to shine, blah, 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 blah. If you put him out on the boundary instead of leaving him in the slot, it might shock people to hear this. Davis actually played more than double the snaps in the slot as he did at boundary. He played 129 slots snaps inside compared to 283 out near the boundary. For all of that actions, the numbers don't fucking lie. 16 catches on 27 targets, which is a 59% completion rate, two touchdowns, and 193 yards receiving when he was playing outside, going up against another team's number two cornerback. Between the numbers, now this is where he can tee off on slot DBs who are way too small for him, linebackers who are too slow for him, safeties who have neither the speed nor the size, Between the numbers, 28 catches on 39 targets, which is a 71% completion rate, nine touchdowns, and more than triple the yardage. More than triple. For our offense to remain an explosive one, Davis is going to need to, at a minimum, be moved around the formation so we can keep capitalizing on the mismatch that he is up the middle of the football field. The problem is is that if you're not going to put him out there in the boundary, then who does it? What? It's not going to be McKenzie. It's not going to be Crowder. No. Do you trust that role to Isaiah Hodgins, who's never played an NFL snap? What about Jake Kumaro? Touchdown Jesus. No. No. When you look at the makeup of the roster, Diggs might be the only wide receiver cut out for playing consistently on the boundary. And it's a problem when you're talking about building a cohesive offense. And it leaves us lacking at least in one place. I mean, there, it, it, not, not to mention there isn't a threat on the roster capable of threatening safeties with enough speed to allow us to continue using the deep crosses that we crucified the Patriots with this past season. Right? Yeah. There also isn't a possession-wide receiver with size outside who can ensure that when Diggs is double-covered, You've got a guy who can consistently win a 1v1 matchup. I, that might not matter in week seven when you're playing the New York Giants. You know what's going to matter? Is in the divisional round when you're playing against another playoff team that has a very good defense. The reality of life for the Buffalo Bills ahead of the 2022 season is that this wide receiver depth chart is an unfinished product. That can certainly win games in the regular season for the Bills, but I don't know if it's good enough to win a Super Bowl. I, I can't speak to that. And then there's market dynamics that you got to be aware of. There is still a ton of UFA talent available, but the fact that these guys aren't signed already means that their salary demands must be significant. I mean, Chris Landry, Julio Jones, Cole Beasley, OBJ, those guys would already have work if they weren't expecting to get paid what, north of... What would you say? I mean, we cut Beasley and he was going to make $6 million? It's all He was in the last year of his deal. Okay. But the fact that he hasn't been signed anywhere means that he's priced himself out. 
So is Landry. So is Jones. Didn't he make enough money with us? That's up to him to decide. I don't get to decide that. And half of this pay scale shit show is a byproduct of just absurdly skyrocketing costs at wide receiver. That's not an arena the Bills are probably looking to be players at come 2023 because you figure we're already going to have one of the NFL's most highly paid wide receivers on the roster. What are we going to do it twice? Who is the last team to have two wide receivers making top 15 money? That'd be you'd be out of the playoffs. I'll tell you that right now. I don't Who's know. Who's the last team to do it? I don't know. I, I, I feel like I remember TJ Hushmanzada and Chad Ochocinco both making a ton. Could of money be Cincinnati. Well. That is that is a good guess. If you call in, if you know, <laughs> so as you guys can see, there's a need. Right there's a need here at wide receiver, both now and in the future, for the Buffalo Bills ahead of this 2022 NFL Draft. The only question that I have. Is there enough talent out there to ensure that even if the Bills opt not to use a top pick to obtain it, or if the board just maybe doesn't fall their way right out of the gate, they can still ensure that their wide receiver core finds the balance that it needs? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Adds talent and also becomes a little bit more cap solvent in the process of doing so. The problem here for you guys is that I'm not the guy to fucking ask that question to. Luckily, we have one of the best in the business to help guide us through it. Joining us today is Mr. Mark Schofield from God knows how many. Mark, how many podcasts do you have now? Let me see if I remember. Okay, I've got. The Scotia Pats Paul, but I've got Talk of the Draft, the blog of the boys. I've got the QB Factory reboot uh, with Rachel Prevet over at uh, Bleeding Green Radio. And, of course, there's the one that Waldman and I do, um, the RSP Quick Game podcast, which during draft season becomes more of a deeper film room show. We're trying to schedule, literally as we talk right now, our final show before the draft, which will be Malik Willis. But I think that's them all. If I forgot one. I'm incredibly sorry um, to my potential co-host. <laughs> I may have forgotten there. But no, I, th- I think that covers them all. That's all the pods, at least. And then your written work, the touchdown wire. Uh, wh- who else are you writing for these days? Uh, I still write over at Big Blue View. Uh, but most of the written work is, at, uh, as you said, the offer mentioned, USA Today's touchdown wire. Myself and uh, Doug Farrar, Laurie Fitzpatrick, Barry Warner. Uh, Doug and I just got done doing our top 11-ish at each position, I say ish because as happens every year when I do wide receivers, I go past the 11. This year I did my top 16, um, and there were even some really good receivers that didn't make it into that. 
as I'm sure we'll get into, this is a fascinating wide receiver class. And so I'm excited to talk about wide receivers because the Buffalo Bills certainly they, they need a lot of help right now. I mean, obviously, this is a team that needs a lot of help at a number of different positions. Well, see, here's the problem, though. There's there's problems, and then there's... I was just joking around with some people about this today. This is the first time in my adult life, since I could legally purchase an, an alcoholic beverage, that no matter what the bills do early in the draft, I can make peace with it. Now, you can obviously not like a prospect, Right. But the philosophy right. behind a pick in almost any position, would you could find a road to make it make sense, which is pretty much the hallmark of a, a well-built football team. Like, you don't have any glaring needs. So if they decide to eschew one position for another, you're not, you're not unhappy about it. Now, that's a huge trade-off from back, oh, let's go back to the early 2000s, the late 2000 aughts, uh, into the 2010s and 2012s, where almost every single draft class this team had as a fan base, you're saying to yourself, this has to be the class that saves the franchise. <laughs> and now you've built a roster after, what, f- Chris, four drafts of Brandon Bean now? Yeah. Four, four Bean drafts and four off-season roster building periods through free agency. You've reached a point where you have the biggest questions answered. Got your quarterback. You've got a you, you've got an X wide receiver that's one of the best in football. You've got defensive talent. You've got defensive talent in some key places. Pro Bowl offensive linemen, all pro safeties. But you always have to keep building. And I think the wide receiver position might be the especially heading into this draft might be the biggest like uh, the biggest example of that in terms of how football's being played. Phyllis, well, think well, think about this. Josh Allen's about to get his contract kicked in. And I remember when we drafted him, we signed John Brown, Cole Beasley. Both those guys are gone, so all their money went to Josh Allen. Now you got to build through the draft at the wide receivers so you can get uh, cheap labor. Well, that's never this offseason has been incredibly unique, and I want to pick your brain philosophically, but before we dig into the actual prospects themselves. As a philosophical question as far as how this draft for wide receivers could play out, you got to take a look at what's going on in the market. Now, back in 2021, I've got the notes here in front of me. Corey Davis signs a deal with the Jets for $27 million guaranteed. His was one of the largest in terms of guarantees of that free agency period. Kenny Galladay set the market with a $40 million guaranteed contract. Uh, all the top six deals that were signed in the 2021 free agency cycle what there was only six that were worth 40 or like right around 40 and none of them were worth more than 72 million dollars total that's total value if they were maxed out every cent of it 2022 saw this explosion in wide receiver pay the fourth highest contract signed by uh, christian kirk for jacksonville was 72 million dollars total so the fourth highest paid guy matched the highest paid guy from the last season. Diggs, Hill, and Adams all got over $96 million total and $70 million in guarantees, which just blows everything from 2021 and 2020 out of the water. Eight new receivers signed deals paying more than $18 million a year on average. Hill and Adams, and this is where this gets sticky, Hill and Adams' salary demands were so high that their teams sought, figured it was better to trade them away than it was to try to take the salary cap hit. So they're now playing for other franchises, and Debo Samuel looks like he might be on the next slow boat out of San Francisco. So 
first of all, how disruptive to where a class gets evaluated for the draft can a free agency period like that be, in your opinion? You know, it's a fascinating question, guys. And it's interesting because I remember just like a month ago, these discussions that, oh, man, the league is furious with Trent Bauke because of that contract he gave Christian Kirk. And then as you just walked us through, that almost seems quaint at this point, given some of the numbers we're talking about. I mean, I got, a, you know, Devontae Adams, total value of that contract, $140 million, Tyreek, $120. I mean, it's just astronomical, the numbers that are being put in front of wide receivers. But it's also very much reflective of the fact that this is a passing league and you need to have – in addition to talent at the quarterback position, obviously, when you have the ability to acquire and develop and play with receivers of this caliber, you're going to do your best to keep them in the fold. And if you can't, somebody's certainly willing to pay them money and, and to bring them into their organization. I think the tricky part becomes in where is the tipping point? And I think we might be sort of approaching that right now. And this Debo Samuel discussion might be a nice sort of impetus for it because you have a team, say hypothetically, in the New York Jets that has five picks in the top seventy, has two in the top ten. They've got, you know, their two picks at the top of the first, the second round, their own, and the Sam Darnold pick from Carolina. Will they be willing to package some of that in a move for Debo Samuel, knowing they'll have to pay him, or will they just say, "We've got guys in this draft." Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Jameson Williams. We could address edge and corner at four and ten, and know at the top of the second round you're going to have guys like uh, Sky Moore potentially, or Jahan Dotson, or even later into that round, whether it's a George Pickens, a or Christian Watson, a Khalil Shakur in the, the third round. I mean, there's talented depth at the wide receiver position, and we're seeing because of the growth of the passing game at all levels of football. You know, I'm going to spend my Sunday morning coaching seven-on-seven seven for middle school kids in a passing-only league. Like, the sport is a passing league right now. And so the years of it being a passing-only league, you know, at the high school level, at the college level, at the Pop Warner level, we're now seeing the fruits of that, which is you're seeing wide receivers come out every year, and that position is deeper and deeper and deeper. Yep. You know, whether you look at, you know, Arif Hassan's consensus board, I've got the draft networks, you know, consensus board right now. And you've got like 18 players at the receiver position that are in the top, like 125 yeah. of the overall draft. No, that's a lot. It's crazy. You know, that's incredibly deep, you know? And so I think the philosophical sea change in this sport towards the passing game and the resultant change in high schools and, you know, youth football and the, the emphasis on the passing game and spring passing leagues and things like that has created this situation where we have this, such an influx of talent every year. And so the fulcrum might be this Debo move or this offseason where it's like, sure, you can spend a lot of money or you can say, look, we're not going to get 100% of Debo. We're not going to get 100% of Devontae Adams, but we'll draft uh, Chris Olave, get 60% of that out of the gate, but at like a fraction of the cost. Oh, for sure. And, and maybe- the other thing that I know about f- football people it's a copycat league and recency oh, yeah. bias in their minds and then in the minds of football decision makers is huge. When you look around, Chris, and you see, hey, the Bills traded a first rounder to Minnesota and they turned that into a Justin Jefferson. And then, hey, since he was at the top of the draft and they took a Jamar Chase and he might be the reason they made a Super Bowl. Like, 
he had a couple incredible performances for them. He added a dynamic to their wide receiver core that just was too much for defenses to handle. And you, can, you can remember at the draft, it was like, well, I don't know about taking Jamar Chase. It probably should have gone tackle. I mean, yeah. remember Burrow blew out his ACL. And you're like, oh, he needs a pass protector. This is stupid for them to take that wide receiver. Well, it's happened early. It's happened late. Now you got the salary stuff thrown on top. It's You can very easy, easily find your way to a draft where GMs all over the NFL are going, you know what? Let's zig while all these other guys are zagging, and we'll just keep trying to find the next Jamar Chase, the next guy, yeah. because it's proven that it's been done, or it can be done. Yeah. And even if you don't end up there, you can still find maybe a Terry McLaurin or a, a Godwin or a somebody else who's still an elite wide receiver. And what's interesting is I saw a discussion on Twitter. We're recording this on Thursday. I saw a discussion on Twitter during the day on Thursday. And typically when you think about the fifth-year option, it typically comes up with the, oh, you know, you'll draft a quarterback in the first round just because you'll get that fifth-year option. And I saw a discussion that centered on the idea that because of the sea change in how receivers are being paid, maybe if you're at the end of the first round, you draft a receiver. Because you get that fifth-year option. If we're talking about cost control and receivers now, that's a a whole new world for us. It used to be like, yeah, you want the rookie contract for their quarterback. You control and receivers. If you've got teams and if you're picking at the end of the first round, usually don't have a ton of needs. Maybe adding that receiver does make sense because it gives you some financial flexibility going forward. They had that a couple years ago, our famous Brett Coleman yeah. audio clip. Yeah, he they took meltdown. Clyde, he- Clyde Edwards Hilaire, the running back, and he they was, get that fifth-year option. And he was saying, he goes, if he turns out to be an elite back and they get a fifth-year option on this kid, they just stole the draft. He's like, they're going to – and hey, the logic was sound. I get where he's coming from. Logic was sound at the moment. He just he didn't pan out. He didn't pan but out. But it, it – and most Similar of them, like they, and not a lot they didn't of them have a ton of needs. So. But but guess yeah. what? You, you, that's what this is now. When you're a team that's built like the Buffalo Bills, like the Kansas City Chiefs, like the, the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, like the Rams, these are dart throws now. At this point, I mean, the Rams. Chris, I can't believe I just said the Rams. I was just thinking of who was at the end of the season. The Rams <laughs> won't pick again until I'm in my 40s. How fucking wild is that? I will be 40. Yeah. My birthday is in three days. I will be 37 years old. I will be f- almost 40 before the Rams take a first-round pick again. So when we talk about this wide receiver class and just the makeup of it and how this this pressing need that might change the land, some of the evaluations of them, because you could look at the draft, and like you said, it already comes in. Maybe one of the deepest positions in the entire draft is wide receiver, or at least one of the ones deep and that has the most talent. There's a ton of talented players here, according to people who scout draft prospects. Um so you add in this need from franchises or this move to try to say, hey, we also want to get ahead of this wide receiver pay curve. You could see some guys with lower valuations go earlier than they're already being projected just because teams get the teams get hungry, teams get gun shy when they did gun shy in other positions that they don't like. And then you get the ones who say, well, now there's a run and this is an actual need of mine. So now I'm forced to take this pick. There could be a legitimate run on these guys at the top of the draft. Now, when you look at the makeup of the 2022 draft class, just from a skills standpoint, do you see more possession wide receivers, more vertical threats, more slot targets, or maybe a blend of each if that's possible? I I think it's very much a blend. I I think 
you know, there isn't really that complete all around type of receiver in this draft. They're, they're very much, you know, whether it's Drake London, he's more your big slot slash prototypical X type guy. You know, he's drawn comparisons to Mike Evans, but certainly that kind of boundary type player. Then you got Jamison Williams, Olave, Wilson. They're more off ball flanker Z types. Yep. Uh, Traylon Burks is probably more in that prototypical X type mold, bigger type guy. You know, maybe, maybe so we're going to talk about him in a second. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about him in a minute. <laughs> you know, and then you get that sort of next tier. You know, the guys that typically are talked about in that sort of next group and Sky Moore, Jahan Dotson, uh, George Pickens, John Matchy, Alec Pierce. You know, I think Pierce is probably the most like X type guy, maybe Watson in that next group. The rest of them are very much slot guys, but guys that also played on the outside, you know, particularly with Sky Moore and Dotson. Those guys played on the boundary. Sky Moore has seen a lot of press coverage in his days at Western Michigan, and he handled it extremely well. I think that's a guy that could play on the outside, very much Julian Adelin vibes from him. But I think it's very much, you know, back to the overall point, a blend of different groups. And so how these guys come off the board may end up being determined by who picks them and what their scheme is. You know, you, you might have Drake London or – Jameson Williams as your top receiver, but if the team that's drafting early wants more of a slot guy, then they might go in a different direction. And so it, it's a talented group. It's a varied skill set. There isn't sort of a predominant like prototype player um, that is the overarching member of this group. It's really a diverse skill set at the position. Okay. So when I look, so I'm looking at the draft network's lineup right now, just as far as where their big, their overall big board and just where they have these guys ranked. And I see that there's 11, they have 11 guys in the top 61. So in the top 61 picks of the draft, they have 11 guys rated as being like in that. If I were to say, if I were to give you an under over of 10 and a half, do you think that the number of wide receivers that are actually taken between rounds one and two is higher or lower? Yeah, I'm taking the over there. Really? Yeah. And and I think... You know, I was on a show earlier tonight. I was on uh, Brett Musburger's VSIN network. And, you know, they asked, look, the over-under is five and a half in the first round. And I said, hit the over. I mean, I think we'll probably get six. Could even get seven. I mean, I think it's more likely we get six. But, you know, you know the five names from Burks, Olave, Wilson, Williams, and in, in London. But whether it's Pickens, Dotson, Moore, I, I think one more sort of sneaks into the first round. So that, that gets you six right there. You know, and then you look at this is such a deep group and you, you're rattling it off like guys that aren't sort of in the top first round on the Draft Network's board, for example. You've got Traylon Burks is at 34, David Bell at 42, Sky Moore at 43, John Mechie 46, Christian Watson 48. Like that's a good chunk of players right there that are almost on the cusp of like first round. And so I think you're going to see 11, 12, 13 in the first two rounds at the wide receiver position. See, now somewhere Bruce Nolan heard you say that and raised both. Doesn't even know why he did it. He was he was literally sitting on the toilet and raised both. He of felt his, the disturbance of the floor. He raised, well, he's team defensive back. He's been on that train for three years. He just wants an elite athlete opposite Trey White. He involuntarily just raised both fists in the air and doesn't know why. He's like, I don't, I don't know why. Just someone must have said something. It really, really struck. So there's going to be a lot of wide receiver action. Think about the tight ends. Last year, you were really 
And I mean really down on the tights for last year's crop. I mean, that was one of our, our COVID podcasts, Chris, when I was out in the garage. Yep. And you were oh, in the garage. I remember that. I was one. stuck in my garage. And I just remember, I remember it being cold for April out there. And I remember you just really hating that tight end crop. What do you think of this year's group in terms of just depth? Because it doesn't seem like there's a lot of high end talent available. No, I mean, you might not see a tight end come off the board until late in the second round, maybe not even until the third. But I, I think it's a, it's a wider and deeper group. Okay. You know, I, last year's you had Kyle Pitts, and it was just like a lot of question marks after that. You don't have a Kyle Pitts in this group. But you have guys at the tight end position that even if they don't come off the board until you know late second, early third, they're going to be able to play pretty early. And traditionally the issue with tight ends making the adjustment from the college game to the pro game is they can't block. You know, they're asked to play in the win. They're asked to, to play in the slot. They have to figure out the blocking part. I think you've got guys in this group, whether it's McBride from Colorado State, whether it's Ruckert at Ohio State, whether it's um, Otten does a pretty good job blocking as well. Ferguson from Wisconsin, obviously. Even Charlie Kolar, who I really like from Iowa State. There were actually really good college blockers at the tight end position. And, like, with Otten and Isaiah Likely, like, a lot of what they were asked to do was, like, do it in space. But a lot of times these guys were actually lined up next to the tackle and blocking, like actually playing tight end like the way we're used to seeing it on Sundays. And so I think these guys, this group will face an easier adjustment of things. And so, yeah, you might not see guys until late on day two. But I think you're going to see guys that will come off the board in that range that will be contributors, particularly if teams want to go with two tight end looks, if they want to go that 12 personnel stuff. You're going to find guys who will be able to contribute both as receivers and as blockers early in their career. So I think it's a stronger class as a result of it. It doesn't have the star power of Kyle Pitts, but after that, you've got some talent in it. And then you've got the two the two sort of athletic freaks, Jelani Woods uh, from Virginia, the six seven guy who's just tested out of the, the gym, and uh, Chig Okwankwo from Maryland, yep. who also tested extremely well. Now, you know, he looks more like your Kyle Juszczyk H-back type of guy. Like okay. Shorter. You know, if you look at him from a height perspective and a weight perspective with respect to tight ends, the relative athletic score and all that stuff. Chris just not pulled. Great. Chris just pulled the Good. Jelani Woods uh, RAS score up in front of me. Nine point nine seven. Yeah, he's Woods six, is incredible. He's six foot seven. Ran a ten split. What is it? Is that one point six seconds? The fuck are we talking about here? He's an athletic freak. You don't get to be 6'7 and run that fast. That's not fair. Yeah. I mean... Uh, <laughs> I mean, have short guys everywhere. That's some bullshit. Yeah, and, and the thing about Okonkwo is if you convert his RAS from a tight end to a fullback, it, it's like the most athletic fullback we've ever seen. Now, again, that's making him a fullback, but it yeah. sort of balances out the height-weight thing. Those two guys are just athletic freaks and somebody's going to get them on day three. That was going to be my question. Just put a package together and go nuts. That was going to be one of my questions to you is who were there any guys out there in kind of that Dawson Knox mold? Because that Dawson, Oh, I like to refer to him as uh, what is it? All traits, no production. Like there, there's these guys or not no production, but limited production. When you say, Hey, they didn't set the world on fire, but when you look at them, you see the bones of a good NFL football player. We yeah. took I Dawson mean, I, Knox I, I, late I, in day three, and it took us three seasons to see that he actually has the chops to be one of the NFL's best pass-catching tight ends. But when it hit, 
man. He, I think there are three guys in that sort of mold where I feel like there's this untapped potential as a receiver. Um, Jeremy Rucker at Ohio State, you know, he didn't see a ton of balls thrown his way because you've got Chris Olave. Well, yeah. Wilson. <laughs> if you have those I wide mean, receivers, when do you throw to a tight end? Yeah, I mean, but, you know, I, I think he's got untapped potential as a receiver. Jake Ferguson from Wisconsin, I think, has untapped potential as a receiver because playing at Wisconsin, he was basically asked to block. Yes. They let him catch passes. He did it extremely well. And then Charlie Kolar, who I really like, the Iowa State uh, tight end. I know he was on with the guys who cover one just earlier this week. I think he's a tremendous prospect at the position. He's one of my favorites in this group. And I think he also has some sort of untapped potential at the tight end position. So if you're thinking about that day three range and you're not like thinking about all oh, the woods, the Conquo, like developmental, raw, athletic type guys, you're going to say, look, give me somebody that maybe wasn't asked to do a ton of receiving stuff in college, but there's something there with him. Mm-hmm. Those are the three guys to keep in mind. See, I. T- Chris, you know, one of my favorite things, like, I'm looking at this right now. I got to say, I'm a little sad as I crack a fresh beer that uh, for the first time in like five years, there isn't a Notre Dame tight end out there to just disappoint the shit out of everybody. I mean, it's a fuck. No Tommy Tremble. Dude, dude, death, taxes, and some, and like Notre Dame putting an overrated tight end into the draft. Nate Geary tight ends. It's literally, like, you can set set a clock to it. It's hilarious, and I'm a little disappointed to see that there's no one out there to talk up this year from Notre Dame. Now, when we look at things through a Bills lens, specifically through a Bills fan lens, I'm going to start with another philosophical question, one that your partner in crime, Matt Waldman, answered when he came on and did our running back preview. Um, He obviously took a look at it through the lens of us taking a running back early. One of the things that our GM said at the end of the one of the things our GM said at the end of the season, you know, you're wrapping up, you're disappointed. You're disappointed. Your season ended in the divisional round. You didn't even make it back to the title game. In a game that you should have won. Like, when it comes down to the end, you had that. You should have been hosting that one. And everyone's looking like, okay, well, what are you going to do to fix the defense? And instead, his answer was, we need to be more explosive consistently on offense. Like, that's a thing that we have to figure out. And then you take a look back and you you look at yourself and you say, the Jacksonville game that we lost, uh, what, Chris, 9-6? to six? The, six. the The New England game in the wind that we lost 10-14. to 14. There was these games where you saw our offense, the Steelers game, to open the season, where you didn't yeah. score enough. You didn't score until the very end of the first half, and then you just kind of bumbled your way through it. Those were the games that cost you the most, right? And even in that KC game, the two drives that you got stopped on were the two that ultimately decided the game. If you can get a field goal out of one of those drives, guess what? You're you're walking out of there. You're going home to play the AFC title game. So the question we fielded was, did it make more sense if you're going to use your first, if you've already committed, no defense, first round draft pick goes to a skill position player. It's a running back. It's a wide receiver. One of those two. Does it, did it did it make more sense to go running back or wide receiver? What makes an offense consistently more explosive? Now, he took the pitch of running backs are important. It would add a dynamic our offense didn't have. But you just got done explaining that passing is the thing, right? Passing is the thing that drives the NFL now. Passing is the thing that won the Super Bowl. Passing is the thing, <laughs> passing is the thing that will continue to win a lot of big games in football. 
So, running back or wide receiver, what do you think the Bills should do early in that first round, even if it takes a trade up in order to do it and get the a truly explosive guy? Do you think wide receiver or running back would make a bigger impact for this team? I think wide receiver, and it's because this is a passing league, and you know it's not just a cute little catchphrase. You look at expected points added. You look at all sorts of metrics and advanced metrics that tell you that on a down-to-down, snap-to-snap basis, passing the football is more consistent with offensive success, with winning football games, with putting points on the board on a down-to-down, snap-to-snap basis. You know, some of the best run games are still giving you like maybe 0.01 expected points added per rush play, whereas even some of the worst passing games, it still surpasses that Yeah, in terms of what they do on a snap-to-snap basis throwing the football. And so, yes, you know, a, a running back can certainly help an offense. But there are also other conditions and other factors that go into it. You need blocking schemes. You need, you know, five offensive linemen pulling their weight. You need other stuff that's happening around the running back position. For a receiver to be able to produce, from in many circumstances, just has to beat the guy across from him. You know, if you can separate against man coverage and get yourself open. And, yes, you know, there has to be pass protection and things like that. Yeah. But when you have an athletic quarterback like Josh Allen that can mask protection breakdowns and create and extend – you know, it sort of reduces the amount that has to go right for a receiver to be a productive member of the offense as opposed to a running back. And so, you know, I, I think it's an easy one. I, I think it's wide receiver. I think, you know, if you asked me that question 20 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe it's a different answer. But in this NFL, I think it's receiver. See, Chris, this is why I like fielding the same question to two different people, but who have two different philosophies on what's important. I like that because I like getting to see both sides of the argument. So at the top of the show, we outlined for our listeners that the Bills have some real issues ahead of them at wide receiver. I know it doesn't look like it, especially if you're a Patriots fan, because let's face it, you don't have a quarterback who can find half of them anyway. I What? I'm, I'm Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, Schofield, we love you. So this, I knew that was coming. I was just, you know, ready for it. So, so here's what we're looking at, though. When you take a look at the makeup of our wide receiver core, it seems like the Buffalo Bills have built this team with a hat on a hat on a hat. You look at our depth chart and you say, okay, Stephon Diggs is one of the best X receivers in the entire NFL. Then you've got a whole bunch of slot receiving talent, and you've got a guy in Gabe Davis who everybody looks at and says he's got size, he's got speed, he's he. But he's the he's most peerless price 2.0. No, he's going to be number two. What he is is that he's the most productive wide receiver on our football team, but only when you allow him to operate from the hashes. If you're not using him in the middle of the field against linebackers and safeties, his production pales in comparison. So we've already outlined that for our listeners. I guess the question is, yeah, and I guess thanks to the bullshit that Trent Balky, Balky pulled this offseason, the co- finding effective solutions to that Z receiver role, that off-ball guy who can play the boundary on the other side of Stephon Diggs, it's becoming harder because before we got steals with John Brown, Emmanuel Sanders, we were finding these guys relatively cheap. I think those days are over, or at least right now it's not something we can do in free agency. So there, there's going to be a skill set or two here that the Bills need to go out and find somebody to be on the roster because you can't put a whole bunch of guys who are great from the slot out on the field at the same time and expect that passing game to have 
in terms of the route combinations, you can dial up, have any kind of balance. You have to find some Z, some Z talent, some guys who can play off the line. Who in this draft class are some of your favorites in that regard? I mean, Jamison Williams and Chris Olave, the first two that come to mind. Um, you know, I think those are guys that can play on the outside. Those are guys that have had opportunities to go up against press line defenders and to beat press line defenders. And I use that term press line defenders because sometimes it's like, well, can a guy be pressed? Well, you know, even college corners, not everybody's great at press, but yeah. if you've got at least got that experience of a guy aligned in your face and whether he's playing press bail or you know, he's actually actively going to try to jam you, you at least have some experience and a foundation of, of operating against that kind of alignment. And so those two guys certainly come to mind as you get a little bit deeper into say late first round, Jahan Dotson and Sky Moore, I think are almost prototypes of that type because a lot of people will look at both Dots and Moore and say, yeah, they're slot guys at the next level. And I, I would push back on that. You know, having watched both of those guys and watched them, all of their snaps against press a lot of defenders, and particularly with respect to Moore, the release package and release skill set that he has, the ability to win with foot fires and foot quickness off the line, but also to be violent with his hands, you know, chops and, and things like that, swats and swipes to get away from jams and attempted jams from defenders. That's what you're going to need at a Z type. You're going to need that because there's sometimes, you know, you might even be on the ball or maybe you're off in a stack or something like that, but you will have to beat some press a lot of defenders and more in dots and do that. I think at a pretty high level. So those are guys, as you get into that bills range of the draft, that might be names to sort of think about. And then there's George Pickens, and I'm perhaps a little higher on him than consensus. I think Pickens, you know, he might have some extra receiver to him, but I think he can play more of a Z as well. I think if this were, you know, if we were talk, having this conversation in, say, April of 2020 after his freshman year and somehow he was eligible for the draft, he's a first-round wide receiver. You know, I, I think inconsistencies at the quarterback position in 2020 and then his injury in the offseason that caused him to miss the bulk of this year have seen him slide down the board. You know, in in conjunction with obviously the rise of guys like Williams and guys like Traylon Burks and things like that, but I think Pickens is a first round talent, and I think he's somebody that could also fill that kind of role as well. And so, there's certainly guys that can serve in that capacity. There are guys in this draft that you could put at the Z type role on the other side of the field from Stephon Diggs and trust that they'll be able to get past press line defenders. They'll be able to, you know, they won't face an adjustment when it's. Wait, now you're telling me this guy's across the line of scrimmage right in my face and he can he can jam me? He can do what? You know, some college receivers, it's new. These guys, it won't be new for them. So that development of curve will not be as steep. See, that's interesting to me. That's interesting that there's so at the top at least, if the Bills do decide to do this wide receiver style, say, hey, look, we need another guy who's a little more explosive than what we were getting out of Sanders, what we were getting. We can go find that here at the top of the draft. In the back half of the draft, who are some of these guys that you like? The wide receiver position could be one. We talked about it early on in the offseason about double dipping at certain positions and how defensive back might be one of them. Um, and how, you know, some of the other positions, kind of like how the Bills double dipped at defensive end last year. If wide receiver turns into that and they decide later in the draft, you know, they did it as recently as Gabe Davis and Isaiah Hodgins. And I remember at the time, every Bills fan and analyst everywhere said Hodgins was probably the better prospect. Well, Gabe Davis is the kid with, I think he's up to 17 pro touchdowns, and Hodgins hasn't played a game yet. Who are some of these guys later in the rounds, like the fourth, fifth, sixth round, that you think could also maybe grow into a role? 
for the Buffalo Bills on the boundary. Yeah, I mean, Vilas Jones Jr. is one from Tennessee that comes to mind. Larry Fitzpatrick, uh, uh, touchdown ride, did a great sort of breakdown of his game. You know, certainly some of it, I think, you look at the skill set, you look at what he put on film at, at Tennessee. You know, he's somebody that didn't give you a ton from a route tree perspective. You know, he's not going to give you the full route tree. He's not giving you all nine routes. But I think he's pretty good at what he does. He's got speed. He's got verticality in the in the down and the ability to give you stuff in the downfield passing game. You know, a similar player, Taekwon Thornton from Baylor, certainly an extremely fast burner type of kid that is going to take the top off defenses. I know that might sound very similar to a guy already on the depth chart, Marquez Stevenson, but there's that ability to play on the outside that Thornton showed at Baylor that I think is going to help. Romeo Dubs from Nevada, very talented receiver. Some people have them in their top 15 at the position. You know, the others have them a little bit more in the, like that third, fourth, fifth round range. But I think he's somebody that can be that Z, can be that X type of player, had a great connection with Carson Strong, wins at all levels of the field, extremely talented type player. A kid I like that's probably more of a slot, didn't do a lot on the outside, Kyle Phillips from UCLA. Um, I sort of compared him to uh, Braxton Berrios on his third band energy of the day. Like the, the footwork is ridiculous. He's like a human ladder drill. Sometimes the footwork is almost too much. I know I, I talked about it in my profile of the Matt Waldman did a video of it. There are times when he's giving you like his 17th or 18th juke step of the route and the ball is already supposed to be out or the ball has gone to the other side of the field. Like if you can kind of tone that down a bit, I think he'll be a very productive receiver. And finally, Justin Ross from Clemson um, had injury history as well. But another very talented receiver, uh, probably more of an X type that can play that Z. Um, probably somebody that will be there day three, maybe you know third, fourth, fifth round kind of range. But another talented receiver in this class. I remember just you talking about the footwork takes me back to our conversation with Matt Waldman, Chris, where he was talking about Andy Isabella. He called him Disco Fever because because yeah. the guy just can't stop dancing. Yeah, I mean Phillips is the same thing. Phillips is the exact same thing. Oh, man. So in terms of there's a handful of prospects I, I just want to ask you directly about because every year there's a couple. Wide receiver is a weird one because, Chris, you, more often than not, when I'm asking our guests questions about things I like, right, players I like, guys I'm into, because it's usually things that guys I saw that I'm interested in. For this group, it's mostly guys that I'm really fucking scared of because I'm old enough to remember all of the drafts that have burned everybody on wide receivers. I remember there was a year where the wide receiver, it was the year James Hardy was drafted. And the first round was supposed to have, uh, what was it, Devin Smith and uh, Jesus Christ. There was a couple other wide receivers who were all supposed to be first round talents and they were supposed to be great. And none of them went anywhere. They were all skid marks in the annals of NFL history. There's a lot of classes that are like this. Now, obviously, there's volume this season that'll mask a lot of the misses. But one thing I look at when I look at all these prospects, out of everyone, in fact, I made a note here of it, just because I'm lazy, open my phone, uh, everyone's small. There isn't a lot of size in this class at all, and I hear people saying, oh, there's no big Megatron, Julio Jones type. I think you're selling that short. There's only seven wide receivers over six foot two in the top 240 prospects. Now, you don't have to be a behemoth to play wide receiver, but at some point playing on the boundary takes a it takes size or at least enough physicality to that you can overcome a lack of size. What are the odds that all of these guys who are under six foot have that physicality to pan out in the NFL? 
Yeah, I mean, it's not a high percentage. You know, it's not an extreme likelihood that all these guys will pan out. But that's why then you start looking at, you know, the traits and how they play the position. It's why I come back to guys like Jahan Dodson and Sky Moore because they've shown an ability to be physical, you know, particularly with Moore, who, again, I, I talk like, you know, I use the Julian Edelman comparison a lot. There's no fear working over the middle. He has no fear playing a con- in contested catch situations or playing tough at the catch point. Um, so you have to sort of look at do they have other traits, you know, because you're not going to be running against Toledo in the NFL, you know, that's who <laughs> well, yeah. more played against. And, and that's why I'm doing that. When I look at some but of the big guys, like physical enough. Well, when I, I look at some of the guys like Christian Watson, he's six, four, but he played in North Dakota state. Who was covering that guy? Like, I, I don't trust that. That's why the senior bowl was huge for him. Cause he showed that like at a higher level of, of competition, he still was able to separate. He was able to beat press and press a lot of defenders. You know, other receiver I really like in this class is Alec Pierce from Cincinnati. A multi-sport athlete in call in high school played volleyball, forty-inch vertical. You know, absolutely massive catch radius. I get the chance to talk to him on one of my shows, and he talked about how he loves face and press coverage because so many of the routes in the Cincinnati playbook would convert to goes and fades and and, and vertical balls against press. And you watch his game against say Notre Dame, where he's just beating guys off the line. He's got an open downfield, and he has thanks to that vertical and his wingspan. A massive catch radius. Just, you know, he's got the ability to take a throw that's sailing out of bounds and turn it into a completion. And so, you know, there are some guys that have that ability to go up and be ball winners. Yeah, there's not a Calvin Johnson. There's not a Megatron. But it's rare to find those types of guys. More often than not, you're going to get the guys that are solid 1A, 1B types. Um, You know, if you're looking for X receivers solely based on, like, physical profile and frame and things like that. It's a tougher class. That's why Drake London might be getting pushed up boards. That's why Pickens and Pierce are sort of getting up pushed up boards. Watson as well, because if you're looking for that, those guys are fewer and farther to come by in this draft. We wouldn't be the pettiest podcast or at least the pettiest bills podcast. If we didn't throw a little bit of shade at somebody, why the hell isn't anybody calling Traylon Burks, LaVisca Chenault 2.0? I've seen that. Okay, good. I want to make sure because if you listen to the Bills fan base, they're like, oh, Burks, look at him. He's big. He's going downfield. He's making contested catches. All I see is LaVisca Chenault playing for a worse college football team. Yeah, I mean, I I think with Burks, there's the case to be made that he in the NFL, you're giving him sevens, eights, nines, and overs, and that's what you're letting him do early in his career. You know, I think best case scenario, he's like a watered down version of AJ Brown that's going to be physical, give you some stuff in the downfield passing game. I think the, you know, three months ago, Burks was talked about like, yeah, he's going to the top 15 of this draft. And I think people now start to see the athletic profile. And now the discussion is being framed about game speed versus track speed in Indianapolis. Anytime you start, you know, not to turn this into a politics podcast, but it's like, a poll comes out and you say, oh, well, what, what were the cross tabs? Like when you start trying to explain away stuff like that or starting to explain away like game speed versus track speed, you're not in a good place when you're talking about a prospect. No, That's the kind of ground and footing we're on with Burks right now. It's why I still think he goes in the first round, but I think he'll be on the board potentially when the bills are on the clock. And I don't know if they have to go down that road. Chris, I swear to God. Remember how we talk about like you could get yourself, you might hate a prospect, but you get the idea. 
Traylon Burks is mine. I swear to God, if they draft this kid, you're going to hear the F-bomb all the way from Batavia out back here in Buffalo. You're going to hear it all the way back here. Chris, do people think that me crashing the live stream when we drafted Epinesa over Dobbins, they thought that was bad? Oh, just wait until we draft Traylon Burks. I'll burn this mother down. It's going to be an in-person thing. I mean, the last thing, last pick I remember that you hated in person was Devin Singletary. You flipped your tablet and (laughs) put your head down like Jim Carrey in Ace Ventura when he puts his head down on the bench in the Mental Institute. See, Schofield, mind you, this is on a live stream that we're doing from, like, a casino. Yeah, I'm a, like I said, the least professional podcast on earth. I, I might have to skip the stuff I'm doing on night one and watch, <laughs> or at least have that on a second screen. <laughs> Schofield, we appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedule for us, as always. Where can people find you? Where can they find your work? What do you have coming up between now and draft night? Um, actually, I'm kind of winding things down. I've got... Of a mock draft that will be coming out. I actually, interestingly enough, went corner for the Bills um, instead of wide receiver because I didn't think the value was there because corners had gone off. Um, so I went corner, but corner, wide receiver, you know, two positions that they obviously need to address at some point. Um, so that will be coming out whether it's Friday or Monday. I'm not sure yet. Um, and then I'll be, look, I'll be all over the place for SB Nation on draft night. And then I, I wind down the first night as I do every year with Simeon Blue, Matt Waldman, um, over at Football Guys, um, it's kind of been, I think it's been like my seventh year in a row winding down the first night of the draft with them. So it's always a bunch of fun. But on Twitter, at Mark Schofield, that's the best way to find me. And guys, you guys are awesome, man. You guys are crushing it. So happy for you guys. It's It's been great to see the way you guys have sort of taken off. Now you're going to be at a casino on draft night. My God, just don't forget me when you're famous. How about that? Mark Schofield, host of several podcasts, too long to name. He's on Twitter, at Mark Schofield. Give him a follow. One of the best when it comes to breaking down quarterbacks, wide receivers. He played quarterback in college, although it was like a, what, a D, D7? Is that a thing? D7? We might have the tape. Yeah, there there is tape of him There's playing. There's tape of him playing, and they're going to try to break it down. Yeah, I've I've heard of that. There is tape of Mark Schofield playing quarterback somewhere. It might be on the internet. Who knows? You might have to you might have to go to archive.org to find it. But he's one of the best draft analysts. Unfortunately, a Patriots fan, but I mean, kind of have his number now. So there's a couple things here that I take away from this conversation we just had. One of them is that I go back to the top of the show. Brett Coleman talking about Chris Olave and how he he says, I think that he's a Z receiver for in the NFL because he's not going to give you anything in the running game. And yet at the same time, we know now after this conversation, like there, there's going to be players who could fill that role for Buffalo. But I don't know. Chris, would you be okay with them just when when you find out how important that role is to our offense, right? Be, like think about how many touchdowns Emmanuel Sanders scored early last year, simply because teams were so focused on Stephon Diggs. You're gonna have to put a body in that role. I I don't know. Is it almost, you start having the conversation, Chris Olave, 
if everyone is, is, is as high on him as Brett is, I'm sure there's NFL GMs out there who see Olave and go, hey, we need that guy. <clears throat> He's a, he is the thing that could make your offense more consistently explosive, correct? Yeah, as long as you're not asking him to run block. Okay, which is fine because think about the people we've had playing that role. John Brown playing opposite uh, Stephon Diggs yeah. in 2020. John Brown was never a blocker. Emmanuel Sanders in 2021. We could get by. And Chris Olave might be the best route runner. Just pure route runner, pure ability to get separation in that kind of capacity. Is it worth a trade-up, though? Because it almost feels like that's what it's going to take to get there. I mean, I think the only way Bill, the Bills will trade up is if it's going to be for a cornerback. You think so, or you don't think they'd let? See, and this is why these conversations if, if get it, interesting as we get yeah, close to the end of the draft. Because if if it gets to a point where like there's a run on corners and we're at like twenty two, and the last first round grade is still available, and whoever's ahead of us, oh, they might take a corner. Maybe we gotta make a trade up for. Th- three to four picks and to get that cornerback. But at the same time, when you hear Schofield talk, he's taking the under over at what? He said six and a half. Well, under over at over, six and a half. Over six and a half. Over six and a half. That's going to push a ton of talent down the board. You figure the defensive end depth that we talked about with Brett Coleman earlier on in this process. He's talking about there maybe being 10 it's eight, all about need. Eight to nine. Now you're getting into the territory of where, Chris, you could be in the teens and, like, there's wide receivers being taken. There's defensive linemen being taken. Those DBs might be falling just because the wide receivers are rated as game changers, more so than a cornerback. And and for good reason. They might be. Yeah, you might want to take a look at, like, uh, so who, <laughs> who's got the first 24 picks Maybe who has a rookie quarterback or this new thing of quarterback trades. Like you got Wentz and Washington. You, you're going to want to get him a number one. Number one wide receivers going to teams that have just traded for quarterbacks. You also well, got also, Debo, Debo also, Samuel well, is on the trade block. Also, you're talking about a Washington team that still has to figure out if they want to pay Terry McLaurin. If also, not, if they want to pay teams that come to them. Or if they want to pay... Right? <laughs> <laughs> I love how you... I love how that just came to you in your eyes. I can see it. Your eyes get big. I was like, oh, he's got a zinger. <laughs> come on. They, they owe teams revenue. That's if, a thing now. Chris, you know that I love using this platform to just... Just beat up Dan Snyder whenever possible. Oh, that guy's such a piece of shit. What a hilarious bum this guy is. But no. If if if, if, if the they decide if, they don't want to pay the, Terry McLaurin, they can the Washi- for a replacement. If the Washington Commanders were a department store, they're TJ Maxx. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Dan Snyder is. He's, he's the, the general manager. He's the TJ T- Max. he's the TJ Maxx of NFL owners. Oh God. It's just, it's interesting. I I want to, Chris, I want to not hate this. I think the, my problem is that I have bias. 
Think about how many times we've been burned in the draft on wide receivers. Yeah. Think about how many times I've been sold a fake bill of goods. Uh, I just, I, I think I inherently have bias against wide receiver draft picks because I think that they take the longest to really come into their own. Demaryius Thomas was a great NFL wide receiver. It took him until like year two or three to really put it together. You see that. You know, for every guy who steps in and sets the world on fire, there's eight more that took a year or two of seasoning. I just, it scares the hell out of me, Chris, thinking that our team, when we talked to Waldman, when I asked Schofield that question earlier about what makes our team more explosive, wide receiver or running back, and he goes, running back needs other people to do the heavy lifting so he can do his job. The wide receivers, it's just, hey, beat the guy. Trust your quarterback. If your quarterback's talented like ours is, he'll find a way to make you good. <sighs> I'm afraid they're going to go this way, Chris. And it scares the shit out of me because this is a position that has burned not just us, but most teams. They have the highest bust rate of the last 10 years, according to Pro Football Reference, of any position in the first round. And if it's Traylon Burks, oh my God. Chris, what do you think it'll be like when that pick comes in? Burks is on the board still. If someone else hasn't been dumb enough to take him, I'm going to look like I did when we were sitting there. Do you remember the pick? Hawkinson. The Hawkinson pick? Hawkinson got picked at eight to Detroit, and then we took Ed Oliver. Well, I'm going to assume it's going to be something similar because we're going to be at Batavia Downs, and I'm going to... I'm just going to assume we're going to have to give them our podcast credit card because you broke a table or <laughs> a couple of glasses. Like, hey, glasses are supposed to be kept on the table and not thrown at the wall. It'll be the first, li- it'll be the first live stream anyone's ever watched somebody get tasered. It'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be like <laughs> an episode of Cops. I mean, it's Batavia, so it's fitting. <laughs> Oh, on that note, guys, we got to get out of here. But this has been fun. I th- again, I like having these conversations because you learn more about the people that you should look at, the people that we as fans should dig a little bit more into. Maybe we challenge some of our biases, like you, Traylon Burst lovers. I like that somebody else sees a Lavisca Chenault, the guy who can't run routes. He's got maybe three routes in his bag. And he doesn't have the best athleticism, so he's too slow to get natural separation. Who the fuck are you, Chris? Who the fuck are you beating in the NFL? I have no idea. If you don't have the athleticism to create natural separation and you're a lazy route runner, all you are is big and physical. Then guess what? You're a you're a shitty tight end. You're not a wide receiver. Traylon Burks is my goddamn nightmare. I will I will put my stamp on that. I'll make you a Seagram's bet. He doesn't surpass 600 yards receiving in his first two years of the NFL. I don't know about that. We're going to get into some more uh, Seagram's bet come... Come Monday? Come Monday with Andy Anthony Prohaska from Cover One. We'll have some Seagram's bets as we kind of... Monday when we go over... We're going to reminisce over everything yeah. we've learned. We're going to take a look at things. We're going to talk draft philosophy. We're going to look at what the Bills could and should do. We're going to make some wagers. But, but we're not done. This show is the second to last of our draft preview series. We saved the best for last. Tune in next show 
as Bruce Nolan himself from the Bruce Exclusive joins us to explain why he is... CB2 aficionado (laughs) over the last three years. You know, we we plan these draft shows out to where the last position group we go over is the one that we think our first round pick's gonna be. You can't do that no thinking our first round pick's gonna be a quarterback. A quarterback, you gotta have Bruce Nolan. Bruce Nolan's gotta be the guy you have on to look at corners in this draft. So tune in to our next podcast where we will go over the cornerback depth chart. The cornerback field. We're going to look at everything as it relates to. We're going to talk to him about why CB2 being super athletic matters so much to him. It's going to be a blast. I can't wait, but for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That was Mark Schofield. And this has been your Rockpile Report. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.